Well, thanks for listening to Theology on Air. We're here every Thursday at 5 o'clock at KPFT. And uh, looking forward to spending an hour today looking at uh, hearing the story of a, a former Anglican who became a Roman Catholic priest and also his love for comic books and all things comic related. We'll be talking about that today on Theology on Air. All right, well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Uh, we're here every Thursday at 5 o'clock, Theology on Air. Learn more about us. You can uh, just go to Facebook, Theology on Tap. Uh, that's uh, actually, we're a ministry of Theology on Tap here in Houston. And uh, you can find out more about us through our Facebook page. We've got a really awesome event coming up Tuesday, February 11th, I believe it is, on transhumanism. Uh, are we going to be uh, some combination of men and machines uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in that 1984 classic Terminator? And the 1992 classic Terminator 2, which is probably the only two Terminators you should see. But anyway, is that our future or what exactly? Maybe uh, Father Michigan will have an answer for that. But uh, we're here every uh, every Thursday at 5 because KPFT is community-sponsored, listener-supported radio. And that means that uh, we rely on you and your generous giving for us to stay on the air. Uh, we will not have any commercial breaks. Uh, we will not have uh, any shilling for uh, any uh, corporation that does horrible, horrible, dastardly deeds. We just get to talk about what's really of interest to you and enlightens your life by talking about the, the, the things of great uh, consequence and importance. So that's what we're going to do every every Thursday at 5 on Theology on Air. Today we're going to be talking with uh, Father Jonathan Michigan. Michigan, I want to make sure I'm not confusing with the state. Probably get that a lot. Uh, but he is um, a convert, as I said, to Roman Catholicism. He's the chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. John the 23rd, was he the pope during Vatican II? At the at the beginning, he's the, the beginning. one who, who okay. called for the council. Yeah. Okay. He was a short short. His his office was short lived. What didn't he die like within a few years? He was he was only pope for about five years. Yeah, okay. But made a huge impact in a short period of time. Okay. Um. But uh, Father Michigan also making a, a an impact, and we hope a long period of time. But uh, <laughs> he's the a Catholic priest in the personal ordinariate of the chair of Saint Peter. He has his own podcast, which you might catch if you like comic books half as much as he does. Uh, it's called God and Comics, and you can find him at GodandComics.com. He also blogs at WorkingTheBeads.com. I assume that's a rosary uh, reference. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good deal. All right. Well, I wanted to talk about um, some kind of some kind of general theological questions, but I, I promise not to dwell on it too long because we do want to talk about comic books. Um, I'm a blank slate when it comes to comics, so you'll get to. You know, educate me, fantastic, and enlighten me. I'm, I'm fantastic. like a, I'm like a prospective, uh, um, uh, uh, Mark, right? Um, like a convert or something. This is an evangelistic opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but um, anyway, but uh, I do want to remind people one more time: go to kpft.org and donate. Uh, we do need your funds. You can also call seven one three five two six five seven three eight if you appreciate radio like this. Call them anytime. Give them a couple of bucks to stay on the air. Seven one three five two six five seven three eight. And of course, if you want to call into the studio, we are at 713-526-8737. So if you've got any questions uh, for Father Michigan, I'm going to call you Father Jonathan from now on. Um, <laughs> and he does have his uh, Roman, his uh, Catholic uh, catechism, the catechism of the Catholic Church, when to get the title right. So, um, so any question you have for him, he has an answer to. Is that right? I will make something up. There you go. There you go. Okay. Um <laughs> Tell us a little bit of your history. Did you grow up Roman Catholic? You became Anglican at one point. You're Roman Catholic again. So tell us, give us the version of how all that happened. 
Yeah, I, I so I grew up uh I grew up in Maryland actually. Uh and my my father was Catholic, my mother um at the time was sort of agnostic. Um and so um I, I did go to church as a kid. Um it was a kind of different kind of Catholic church than I experienced any I've experienced it anywhere else really. Um I grew up in this uh community in um Columbia, Maryland, which was like a, it was a, uh, Columbia is like a planned city. Okay. And, um, they, they, they did a lot of this stuff in the late sixties and early seventies when they built it. And there's a lot of sort of utopianism behind it. Oh, interesting. And so one of the pieces of it is that they built these interfaith centers for groups to meet in. Um, and so, uh, I grew up going to church in a building where there were Unitarians and Buddhists and, Jews and, uh, you know, anything else that you could possibly think of. And so it was church in a box every week. I'm sure no Lutherans yeah. were there because they... No, there was a Lutheran oh, there church. Was? I oh, actually okay. think one of the few ones that's still there, because at this point, most of the groups have moved out of those yeah. those places, but um, there was a Lutheran church there. Okay. But, uh, but it was, you know, it was not... Like, I didn't have the sort of stereotypical experience, at least sensory, mm-hmm. of Catholicism as a kid. You know, like, there were no pews, there were mm-hmm. no statues there was no incense there were no there's no confessional like you know all that kind of stuff yeah it was it if was if you were to make a movie about exorcism they wouldn't they wouldn't film it, it. <laughs> they would not film it right there. right yeah if you were to make a movie about uh how to warehouse lots of different groups in the same space they yeah. might make that there That'd i would totally watch movie. that movie would you really no, it sounds fascinating <laughs> yeah okay you're in at 5 30 but if you're if you're not gone by 5 45 we're we're you know, we're doubling your rent next month. Anyway. I'm starting to understand why you don't like comics. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not into the big picture. I'm mm-hmm. into the I'm into the small story of of human consequence. Mm-hmm. Maybe. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, okay. okay. So, kind of a different upbringing, I guess. Then, are your parents still Catholic? My my dad still is. My mother is actually an Episcopalian now. Oh, okay. Um, is that how you became yeah. Episcopalian? No, she uh, she came in after me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. So what led you to maybe leave the Catholic Church? Well, uh, you know, so like I said, I had this very kind of odd version of Catholicism growing up, um, and I didn't really know much about my faith growing up. Um, you know, it was it was at a very superficial level. Mm-hmm. Um, not always. I don't want to, you know, completely slam that experience because, um, you know, there were certainly wonderful people there. But um by the time I was a teenager, uh, I'd pretty much checked out of of uh, the church. I was always interested in religion um, and spirituality, and I, I thought basically anything spiritual was interesting as long as it wasn't Christian. But Christianity was just kind of boring and stupid. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I, you know, so I I did all kinds of stuff. I was interested in like neo paganism and you know <laughs> ah. all kinds of weird stuff like that. And then. Um, and then when I was in college, I discovered the Episcopal Church. And my sense at the time was I had gotten tired of being a, a spiritual community of one. Mm. And um, and so, you know, I kind of wandered into this little Episcopal Church. And the ritual was familiar enough in terms of the steps, you know. Um, but it didn't seem like it was going to be too taxing for me in terms of what I would have to believe or not believe. Uh, and so, uh, that sounded good to me at the time. 
So that's that's sort of how I became an Episcopalian was mm. just by this kind of like, oh, here's a, here's a space um, where I can um, experience this, yeah. these same kinds of movements, yeah. but I can still basically construct my own identity or my yeah. own my own faith. So did you yeah. um you you use an interesting phrase uh, um spirituality of one or a religion mm-hmm. of one. Yeah. Um do you think that that's how a lot of people live today because it actually seems like a pretty appropriate description of how a lot of young people understand spirituality. You know, it's their yes. experience, it's they're on their own. They the idea of like being a part of a body as you know we would talk about the body of Christ, you know, or sacrificing for more Anyway, I don't know. I just it's an int- that was a good phrase you use. You yeah. should you should Spirit- patent that, make a T-shirt, and write a book. Spiritual community of one. Absolutely, yes. yeah. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I'm sure you see this in in your your ministry and work as well. That um, there is a, a sort of great loneliness in our age, and I think people have a, a kind of reticence and 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 hesitation about joining anything because they fear the sort of idea of it impinging upon them Mm. but at the same time there's this great sense of i want to connect i want to i want to reach out and know that there's something out there that's going to lift me right um and so um yeah i I think i think you're right i think there is a lot of that in the world today yeah Yeah, it's there's it's pretty obvious it seems to me that there is Incredible isolation, which leads to incredible loneliness, and the and the answer is staring everyone right in the face. It's all these churches begging people to show up, and and they don't. So I I don't know, but um, certainly people are looking for community. Uh, where where they find it, maybe not. But okay, so your Anglican, were you? Did you get ordained as an Anglican priest? Yeah. So okay. uh, I I came into the Episcopal Church when I was, um, what seminary? 22. I went to Yale Divinity School okay. in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. Um, a good friend of mine is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran, right right off the campus there. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if you visited that. Anyway, it's an old uh, kind of, a, I guess it's a Victorian, beautiful big Victorian building. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah I th- I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, anyway, there, there were a lot of churches in New Haven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, and you stood in the square of 144,000 people. Isn't there some square there where exactly 144,000 people fit or something? You ever heard that? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, well, it has something to do with the end Is times, it, It's but... the book of Revelation come to life? Yeah, well, okay. you know, the, the, you're, you're a, what are you, an Eli? You're a fighting Eli, right? As a, oh, a Yale right, right. or something? Yeah, bula bula. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so yeah. I, I interrupted you. I apologize. <laughs> but you became Roman Catholic somewhere in this process. Well, yeah. no, I so I um, I went to Yale Divinity School. Um, actually, not sure that I wanted to be ordained or anything, but I was coming out of my undergraduate years. I was sure that I wanted to figure things out more, and I was not t- a terribly convinced Christian. I have to say, when I went yeah. to seminary, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, well, you know, maybe we'll make something out of the ruins. You know, like some people say, well, I went to seminary and that's where I lost my faith because I found out maybe Paul didn't write all of Paul's letters and my yeah. whole thing collapsed on me. I went into it going, I don't care whether Paul wrote any of those letters. He's a misogynist anyway. Who cares? You know? Yeah. And so uh, there was like only one direction to go, which was up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, but I, I ended up in seminary is really where I would say that I became a Christian by conviction. Yeah. You know, I mean, I became yeah. a Christian in my baptism, but... 
but by conviction. And, and part of how that happened was um, reading the Church Fathers for the first time and realizing the sort of History Channel version of Christianity, mm-hmm. um, where it's all just this made-up thing to make yeah. people powerful, just right. didn't doesn't make any sense with the actual record that we actually right. have. Right. Um, and that experience, and then you know, I was I was with the other Anglican students. I mean, there were there were lots of different um, Christian groups there. Um, but I was with I was with a lot of other Anglican students, but it was also what's a very um, Anglo-Catholic group. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you yeah yeah you're probably familiar with this mm-hmm. distinction. I don't know if your your listeners are, yeah. but within Anglicanism there are kind of these different poles um, and and different sort of streams, and one of them is Anglo-Catholicism, which um, comes out of a movement in the 19th century and is really trying to embrace a sort of Catholic identity for Anglicanism and tends to um, have a, a pretty high ritual uh, as well. And so this was like, it was in seminary was like the first time I experienced most of the stuff that people associate with Catholicism. Yeah. And that, that blew my mind. Mm. And so I was, I, so I came out of seminary a convinced Catholic, but, with a with a sense of okay, my vocation is to be a Catholic in the Anglican tradition. Yeah. That that's what I'm supposed to do. And by the end of it, I was also, um, it's a whole another story. But I was also sure, you know, I I, I actually am called to be ordained. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So within Anglicanism, there's a kind of Calvinist strain. There's a can be a charismatic strain. There can be an Anglo-Catholic strain, even kind of a Lutheran. I know you talk about the Wittenberg mm-hmm. Trail or the Geneva Trail. Or some Anglicans will talk about that. Yeah, but, no. Yeah. If you listen to uh, God and Comics, it's uh, me and two Episcopal priests, okay, and um, uh, Father Matt and Father Kyle. And Father Matt has a sort of evangelical background, but now serves in an Anglo-Catholic parish. So he has okay. this kind of interesting mix of of things going on. Um, but Father Kyle will tell you straight up he is a Lutheran. Oh, okay. He's an Episcopal priest. Yeah. He's been Episcopalian all his life. Yeah. But he, if you ask him, like, what yeah. is your theology? He's like, I am a Lutheran. Yeah. And he knows Luther forwards and backwards and, you know— he has he has this you'd love him he has yeah. this great t-shirt because uh, the podcast is audio so people can't see it there's yeah. one night when we were recording because we could see each other and he has this great t-shirt that says uh week on sanctification and week. he just he because yeah. that's what people accuse him of as, oh, as oh, a lutheran oh, oh, right. is being yeah. week on sanctification oh, yes, yes, so he yes. wears it as a badge of pride so here's my week on sanctification t-shirt i didn't know if uh, for a minute i was like is he is there a special week of the year i don't know about where oh, they, yeah. they focus on okay <laughs> week uh, yeah it's yeah, the right, week right. of sanctification it's actually everyone. <laughs> true and it's a real problem because you know luther because lutherans exist having uh, answered the question of justification at a particular time in history when we felt the Catholic Church was particularly wrong. So that so we're rooted in that, and so the Lutheran tradition tends to sort of have a, a, a kind of a scant view at the law of God, um, mm-hmm. which is necessary to appreciate if you're going to be strong on sanctification because you're sanctified in what way, oriented towards what, away from what sins, etc. You, you, the, the law of God is all about so but for us since we were you know reclaiming or rediscovering the gospel we ended up having this negative view of the law mm-hmm. and um because that's the thing that 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 you know that the gospel saves us from it's the boogeyman almost mm-hmm. and and what we actually have to do now um is to reclaim 
what the Bible says about the law, you know, mm-hmm. that the that the that the law of God is good and salutary and, and mm-hmm. Christians love the law. In fact, yeah. Christians wish that they could obey the law even more. And it's not there's nothing bad about the law. It just doesn't save you, mm-hmm. which is a big but. Uh, but anyway, so, so you're, you're a third use guy. I'm definitely That's a third right. use guy. Okay. I'm a third. Yeah. In other words, yeah, there's three <laughs> uses of the law. The, the mirror. Uh, just taught this on Sunday. The mirror, uh, which reflects your sin back to you, so you know your need for Christ. The civil, which you know constrains our evil against one another. And then the third use is, I understand it as you know how Christians ought to live. Mm-hmm. It applies to Christians, and yeah, but yeah, but mm-hmm. that's that's all over Paul's letters. I speak know, a so. little Lutheran, you yeah, know, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, throwing down third use. I, I'm right there with you. Um, well, I mean that said. What? Where? I mean, you you do a podcast with two Episcopalians. One one considers himself Lutheran. So there you go. What? Mm-hmm. Where kind of like, um, uh, where kind of like would you say the big differences remain between the Roman Catholic Church, or, you know, and Protestants? Are those things you concern yourself with, or I don't know. Where where do you kind of come down on the historic mm-hmm. divide on justification? Well, I mean, uh, before getting too too deep into yeah. that, I mean, I guess you know, fr- I find it, um, I find it helpful to put this in a narrative framework, okay? Because um, prior to uh, coming back into full communion with the Catholic Church, um, I think I always had in my head that that there, if I was ever going to be anything else than an Anglican. It would be because I had come to perfect intellectual harmony mm. with whatever the thing was. So, like, I had a I had a pretty strong uh, flirtation for a long time with Eastern Orthodoxy, mm-hmm. uh, but I thought, well, I just can't quite get here because of you know X Y Z, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with um, Catholicism or with Roman Catholicism. Is I would look at that and go, well. You know, if it weren't for, <laughs> and then you kind of make the list. Um, and um, that wasn't, uh, justification wasn't really a big part of that for me. Um, eventually, it became something that I was concerned about because I, I met a bunch of Lutherans and I was spending a lot of time with them. And because, you know, as an Anglican, um, and I, don't get me wrong, I love the Anglican tradition, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'm blessed to be a priest in the Ordinary to the Chair of St. Peter, which is a body within the Catholic Church that preserves a lot of that tradition and gives it a place mm-hmm. within the Catholic Church to thrive. Which, by the way, is how you're married with two children. I mean, yes, not I how, am, but... I am married with two children. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's allowed under that Ordinary. Uh, Maybe in, that's not the right way to put In that. individual circumstances, um, uh, there are um, men who've been priests in the Anglican tradition um, who can uh, go through a process, and if approved, and ultimately that approval has to come from the Pope, um, th- then we can be ordained as Catholic priests. Gotcha. Um, and I, I just make that distinction because sometimes uh, people get the impression, because you hear, oh, we have married priests— uh, well, you don't get married once you're a priest, first of all. Mm-hmm. So part of that you is... You have to be married beforehand. You have to be mar- yeah. married beforehand. If my wife dies before me, I, I will be celibate. Mm. I don't know. Um, and additionally, um, you know, uh, while while many of our priests are in that position, um, we also have priests who are celibate. Mm. Uh, and we have a bishop who is celibate. And we have seminarians right now who are, are celibate. So mm-hmm. both of those things actually kind of live side by side in the ordinary. Gotcha. Um, but I'm digressing from what it was that you had asked me before. 
Well, I mean, so Luther. Okay, so a, a Lutheran would say that you know. Let me let me take a step back and say mm-hmm. I think that every Christian ought to struggle if, if they're evangelical or Protestant should should struggle with that to a degree. They should at least have a period where they should say, "Gosh, you know, there's a great schism in the church, you know, east and west initially, and right. in, in the Protestant Why Reformation and here? such. Yeah. Why is it here? Yeah. This isn't the way it ought to be. We have a yearning to be one body. Sure. You know, many members, sure. sure, but one body. What does this look like?" I mean, the Lutheran answer is that we are in fellowship with all who, uh, you know, teach the Bible rightly and administer the sacraments rightly. That is, we have a statement in our ecumenical document that lays the position for our for where we can be ecumenically ecumenically united with with other believers. Um, but but you know that said. Um, there should be a sense in which you, we do mourn the division within the church, and yet there are good reasons that you don't mm-hmm. uh, say uh, go to Rome, you know, or go to the Eastern Orthodox Church because there are there are certain things that you still believe are wrong. So in our case, we should at least understand mm-hmm. what the issues were at the time of the Reformation and, and ask whether or not those issues have been answered. So yeah, yeah, sure. No, and I appreciate that, and I actually appreciate where you started with that because I think. Um, um, you know, clearly uh, the witness of Scripture and of our Lord is that we should all be one mm-hmm. as a church to mm-hmm. follow him. And so um, the division of Christians is, it's a scandal. It's one of the things that uh, I think uh, often uh, keeps people from really investigating and, and, and embracing the truth of the gospel. Because yeah. they say, well, you all don't even agree with each right. other, so why should I care? Right. And frankly, it's an emergency mm. that we are not reconciled. Mm. But we don't really look at it that way. We've gotten kind of comfortable with sure. the idea that we're all in, in our little camps and that that's okay. Um, so I appreciate that that framing. So that, you know, then the question is, well, if we are going to hopefully be working towards unity, um, where do we overlap? Mm-hmm. But also, where is where does there continue to be places where we disagree? So I, I agree with that. But what I would say is like so my own my experience of coming um, into back into full communion with the Catholic Church, you know, I was looking for what's the answer to my questions about um, you know I had questions about the papacy, mm-hmm. I had some questions about justification, um, largely because I had been trying to make Anglicanism work. And um, Anglicanism doesn't really give absolute answers to a lot of these questions, but it seemed to me like if, if I was going to make a, a strong claim for Anglicanism, yeah. I had to be able to plant a flag somewhere. And so this, you know, so I sort of, I was sort of inventing, not invent, inventing is too strong a word, but like I had, I had a blog called The Conciliar Anglican for years, which had mm. this very big following. I mean, mm. I was, I still run into people who tell me, oh, wow. I'm an Anglican because I read your blog. And it was heavily apologetic. Mm. Uh, and it was very much like Anglicanism is the way, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and P- I think a lot of people appreciated that because it wasn't wishy washy. Mm-hmm. But really, when it came down to it, I had picked a kind of Anglicanism that I had pieced together from a lot of 17th century stuff and from some 19th century stuff that basically it was Anglo-Catholicism, but basically it was like Anglo-Catholicism, but with justification by faith alone. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, you know, 
Lutheranism right. with a right. very high ecclesiology right. or right. something, you right. know? Right. And um, so, you know, so I always thought these are the questions I have to have answered if, yeah. I, if I was, you know. And my actual experience of coming back into the church was so different from that hmm. because it was absolutely a movement of God in prayer hmm. uh, speaking to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to weird anybody out, but like, no. um, but like speaking to me and really like in a very concrete way and saying to me, you need to become Catholic. Mm. And I had two responses to, to, to the Lord. One was, are you kidding? Yeah. I've got a life. I've got a family. I've got I have my, this blog. I've got this blog. Telling everyone to be Anglican. I'm getting invited to go speak places. You know, like yeah, I actually yeah. had a really, so there's that piece of it, but there's also, yeah. you know, I'm married. I have two children. My children are both on the severe end of the autism spectrum, mm. so they need a lot of care. So I can't just really dangle out in, yeah. in the air here. Yeah. Um, and so becoming Catholic probably means laying down my priesthood, mm. possibly forever. Mm. Um and besides that, this is me talking to God, right? Mm-hmm. Besides that, Lord, I'm already Catholic. Didn't mm. you get the memo? Yeah. Don't you read my blog? Right, exactly. Yeah. I've, God was I've like, figured on, it all hang out. Hang on, Let me scroll through here. Okay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yet it was, it was very persistent. Um, the way in which God spoke to me and spoke to my heart you know, not that I was constantly hearing words, but that like just every time I would come back to prayer with this, it was very obvious this is where I needed to go. And so, you know, I finally just kind of started to give in to that and say, all right, well, let me be open to this and explore it. Yeah. And in the process of that exploration, I got some of the answers I was looking for, Mm -hmm. but the intellectual answers. But Ultimately, I would say I really had to come into I had to come into the church mm-hmm. to really get to that place because the the thing that was missing for me was a holistic understanding of what it means to be a part of the church mm-hmm. and to be able to um, to live under authority mm-hmm. in a particular way. And to live with mystery mm-hmm. in a particular way, mm-hmm. um, and so um, you know, I so I have a better sense now of how some of these things kind of connect together. Yeah. Um, but I could have, I I never would have gotten into, I never would have become Catholic based on a math problem. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I think I think what you described is a big problem within evangelicalism as well. I mean, in the sense that. The, the idea of saying, I want to be part of a bigger body, I want to be under authority, those are those are not words usually you hear. You know, there's, mm-hmm. So there is a, an independent streak within Protestantism that is really, really not good. Mm-hmm. And I would like to think that, um, well, I'm not a, a part of the biggest Lutheran body. Actually, the, the biggest Lutheran body is heretical, um, so I couldn't be part of that. <laughs> um, uh, I say that with much love to all my ELCA friends, but, um, <laughs> you know, if, if I didn't think that, I'd be a part of it. So mm-hmm. anyway, I mean, um, well, let me uh, let me kind of ask some kind of maybe quick questions and then we're going to move to comics. Is that OK? Yeah. yeah. Can you give me 
a 30-second or a one-minute explanation of the sacrifice of the Mass. And one of the big objections mm -hmm. to Roman Catholicism is that there's an unbloody sacrifice. These are the words that we kind of hear mm -hmm. but maybe don't really understand. Sure. Okay, that goes on every Sunday at the altar, and it's you should stay away from it. It's not right. Now, we do have it. Lutherans, you know, have a high view of the sacrament. We do believe mm -hmm. Christ is present, although right. we don't really strain to say why or how, mm -hmm. or how, I should say. Anyway, so what, what goes on at the altar at a Catholic Mass, and what is meant by the sacrifice of the Mass? Well, so the sacrifice of the Mass uh, is uh, ultimately a participation in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Right. Um, so I think it's important to to stress that uh, what Catholics are not saying is that Jesus is just being, you know, that he's, not he's sacrificing over himself over. over and over again, okay. or that in any way there is anything incomplete uh, in the one sacrifice that Jesus makes on the cross. Um, but what we understand it to be, um, and a lot of the sort of scriptural language around this, you know, you find in the book of Hebrews, um, is a participation in that. That when we go to Mass, we are we are at the foot of the cross. We mm -hmm. are at Calvary. Um, it is happening in our midst, and we are participating in it, mm. which means that we have the, the opportunity to be a part of it in a real sort of way, right? So if I, for instance, if I'm offering a Mass with a particular intention— um, it's not that I'm like, okay, now we're going to like do a magic trick with Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's, um, I am praying and offering, like stepping into the place of Christ, uh, in the context of the mass yeah. to offer this, uh, this holy thing that Jesus offered, but with this, with this intention connected into it, um, and that is in and of itself forms a kind of eternal bond, right? Mm. In, in, in some ways you can think of it almost in this, in a, in the, not the reverse, but it, it's similar in notion to how we think about how it is that the one sacrifice of Christ can atone for every single sin, right? Mm. Like, you know, there are um, sins I haven't committed yet, that Jesus already atoned for. Yeah. Well, every time I sin and he forgives me, is that a new crucifixion? Is that a new atonement? No, of course it's not. Yeah. But that if that event, you know, the part of the mystery and the power of that event is that it encompassed it has always encompassed all of those things. So Christ had already atoned for my sins before there was a me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um and then um, one of the things that Protestants will say again about Roman Catholicism, and, and I think you just touched on it, but it, it's that in Rome there is not the finished work of Christ. That that Christ, sure, Christ died for the forgiveness of sin, but there's still things that you need to do, and that's kind of is the mm -hmm. crux of the issue with the Reformation, and I think still to this day, that's kind of where the disagreement lies. And what a Protestant, I think, and generally more in the Reformed camp for sure, but would, would kind of pride themselves on being able to say when they preach, for example, would be that you can know with absolute certainty that Jesus Christ has done everything for the forgiveness of your sins, you know, for your justification. Mm -hmm. But the caricature, I'm assuming, I don't know if it's caricature or not, mm -hmm. but, you know, is that in Rome, it's 
look at look at what Jesus did. Now, and this is crass, but you know, now this is what you need to do, so mm-hmm. that there's a so that you know you're cooperating. You know, right. He, he's done his part. Now you do your part. Right. And if right. you don't, you know, if you don't make it, if you don't do your part, then there's you know the purgatory and the things like that. I'm not I'm not trying to be derogatory in any way, but I'm just. I mean right. th- that is the critique, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and and that is, I think, a division still. Like, is there a finished work of Christ or not? Well, so two 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 things on that. First yeah. of all, um, I would uh, encourage listeners who are interested in that as a question um, to um, uh, look at some of what the Catholic Church says in the Catechism. Yeah. That's uh, that's a helpful source. Um, but also, uh, you can just read it to us. No, I'm just kidding. Go yeah, ahead. yeah, this, that'll kill the rest of the hour. Yeah. Um, but to uh, to uh, look up the um, joint declaration on justification, um, that was an ecumenical project between the Catholic Church and a number of Lutheran bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. 1999. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know there and there are a lot of people who are critical of that. Uh, on both ends of the spectrum. So I'm not saying it's necessarily going to answer all of your questions, but I think what it does that's helpful is it takes apart each sort of point and says, here's why Lutherans emphasize this, Mm -hmm. and here's why they don't mean... X caricature by it. Here's why Catholic. Here's what Catholics mean when they say this, and here's why they don't mean X caricature by it. Yeah. Um, so that can do that probably better than I can in a in a soundbite. Um, I would say that you know I, I can understand, um, especially from a Reformed perspective or from a Lutheran perspective, there is a lot of, uh, you know, there's a strong desire to um, to protect the idea that. Um, that salvation is completely a gift, that it's completely free, that it's completely given by God, and to avoid some sort of Pelagianism, some mm-hmm. sort of like idea of you know we're we're in this together, me and yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and um, you know, and the Catholic Church would affirm that. I mean, you know, the Catholic Church's teaching is pretty strongly that um, you know, uh, Christ, uh, His sacrifice is what saves me. Nothing I do mm. is going to, uh, you know, add to that or improve that or, um, you know, whatever whatever else it is. Yeah. Um, I think where there is perhaps uh, some difference of understanding or at least some difference of emphasis is that for, for Catholics, there is a strong sense that we... Um, that we participate in the salvation that Christ is giving to us, that there is a, so you used the word cooperation a minute ago, Mm -hmm. that there is a way in which we need to cooperate with the grace that is given to us, that in other words, we can say no to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's almost, um, it's almost like, you know, if you're in a rushing river, Um, you know, you have two choices. The river can carry you or you can plant yourself yeah. and try to push in the other direction. Yeah. Um, and uh, grace has the capacity uh, and, and, and the uh, intention, indeed, of God to carry us where it is that we need to go. Um, and we have to cooperate with that to the extent that we 
allow ourselves to be carried, yeah. and that God is going to then work in our lives in various ways to make us holy over time, to, yeah. to bring us into the, the fullness of the salvation that he has given to us and that he wants us to have. Yeah. But that's very different from, uh, you know, you do your part, Lord, yeah. I'll do my part. Because even the bits that I'm quote-unquote doing, I am doing them because the Lord is, yeah. by his grace, enabling me to do that and 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 bringing me along the path. Yeah. You know, there's no point where I get to claim a victory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and as a third-use guy, I would agree with a lot of that, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think... You know, as Christians, we still ought to live a certain way. We ought to strive against, you know, uh, fight against sin and, and strive to do the right thing. All of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but we promised we'd talk about comics today. So uh, let me give out a couple of phone numbers again if you're out there listening. 713-526-8737. Uh, That's the number right here to the studio. So if you do want to call and talk to Father Michigan, I didn't give you headphones, so if a phone call does come in, you won't be able to hear it, but I might throw you headphones in the middle of the call be like, here, put these on. Okay. Uh, 713-526-5738 is the number to call to give to KPFT, because KPFT is the radio station in Houston that has uh, conversations like no one else, because we're commercial-free, we're not bought and paid for by any special interests. Uh, we can uh, talk about what we want to talk about, what we think is important and what we think is interesting and what we think you would find interesting and important and helpful, too. 713-526-5738. That's the number to call. 526-KPFT. To give to KPFT, no amount is too small uh, uh, or too big, for that matter. So help Community Radio stay on the air. Uh, we have to do this every couple of months so that we can stay on the air, and we uh, appreciate every donation, especially in the name of Theology on Air, which reminds me, I'm Evan McClanahan, the pastor at First Lutheran. I host Theology on Air most weeks, and I'm joined by Father Jonathan Michigan. Uh, he is the chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Prep in Katy, and he was nice enough to drive all this way to join us here in Montrose, Houston. And we're talking about Roman Catholicism, but now we're going to switch gears and talk as much as we can about comic books. Maybe we'll do a second show just on comics, having gotten some of that other fun stuff out of the way. Okay, um, when we talk about comics, are we talking about the books you read or the movies or both? Where Do you have a preference? Sure. Where do you come down? I mean, I, I always start with, with comics because that's I love comics, and I've loved them since I was a kid. Yeah. But yeah, sure, We you know all of the sort of related Are the stuff. movies close enough to the comic books in, in storyline or canon or whatever you want to call it to... Like, be part of the same family? It sort of depends on the movie. Okay. Um, they often will take something from the comics and then kind of expand it and go in a very different direction with it yeah. for the films. Yeah. Do they have to? Like, They don't have to, but... Um, but it just that just seems to be kind of the way it works. Plus, now you have with, with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for instance, I mean, you have more than 20 films right. that have a continuity of their own. Yeah. So you have to be able to like connect A to B to C and yeah. if it's different in the in the comics. Yeah. Then So so know. like is there a comic book version of Avengers Endgame? Uh so there's a comic book version of that whole struggle with with Thanos, yeah, okay. the Infinity uh Infinity War and so forth, okay. but it's okay. it's very different. Okay. Yeah. Well, give me kind of a big picture. What what is it that you love about comics mm -hmm. and 
What are some tie-ins to a life of faith or theology, et cetera? Mm-hmm. So I, I would say, first of all, um, and and this is where you know I want to reach out to you, my yeah, friend, right. who, who needs the the light of <laughs> right, right, um, and say that comic books are are not a genre. Comic books are a medium, okay, um, and uh, you know a, a really. Um, an American medium in a lot of ways, right? I mean, there are comics all over the world now, but, you know, a lot of the, that stuff starts in America. It starts in the lead-up uh, uh, between World War One and World War Two, mm. um, And it's it's a means of telling stories, right, it, that combines uh, uh, art, visual art, mm-hmm. uh, with literary art mm-hmm. um, in in a particular way. Um, and so because of that, there are lots of different genres in comics. The superhero genre is kind of the dominant one, mm-hmm. and I do love the superhero mm-hmm. genre, but I also love the other genres that are there. There are dramatic comics. There are westerns. There mm-hmm. are romances. There are, you know, you just, you name it, it exists. So I often will say to people, you know, if, they're, if they don't read comics, I'll say, well, you know, what do you like? Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, I can find a comic that that that'll connect them with that yeah um and um so you know and then graphic novels which are sort of the longer novelizations of comics also are really helpful in that respect um we did a show on god and comics uh at the end of our last season on the graphic novel persepolis for instance Mm. um which uh is a, a was written in the um early 90s i think late 80s, early 90s. But it was about this this young woman's memoir, basically, of her experience growing up in Iran, both before mm. and after the fall of the Shah. Oh, interesting. And so, like, you know, you think yeah. about the relevance of that at this moment in time when there's so much energy in, you yeah. know, in our relationship with Iran, right? Like, right, right. But that's very different from Superman, you yeah. know? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And l- let me, I mean, let me just ask this. Uh, Superman mm-hmm. and Batman, they're both part of the DC universe. Yes. Not, not the Marvel. Okay. I do know that much. Now, <laughs> now Batman is a self-made superhero. He is, a, is he a superhero? Uh, is that the right word to uh, use? Because he doesn't have supernatural powers. Yes. He's, no, he's a superhero. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, he, he basically has fancy toys. Whereas Superman <laughs> is from another planet, is an impervious to everything. So mm-hmm. wh- how there could even be a battle between the two, I don't know. You can explain that to me. Are you a Marvel or a DC guy? I, lo- I love them all. Okay. I love okay. them all. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I mean, how do they live in the same universe, if you will? Because it seems like like I would be much more of a Batman guy if I were to take sides. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I appreciate that Batman, you know, though he came from great wealth, he did something with it by building his cave and his automobile and his fancy suit and such. You know, Superman's just mm-hmm. pfft, whatever. He can fly. So. Making, making a political statement there, Pastor. I, I, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Superman, you know, was I born prefer the so- billionaire. That's what, <laughs> give me that guy. Well, no, I mean, but, you know, he, he uh, you know, Jesus says that, you know, we ought to, like, do something with our wealth, you know, maximize our <laughs> talents and such. So, anyway, but I, I it just mm-hmm. seems like those are two very, very different, uh, you know. They are very different. And actually, you know, the history of DC is such that um, most of these characters were, were sort of created individually and apart from each other. Yeah. And so, and then they acquired, DC acquired a number of other smaller companies over the okay. years. So the creation of their integrated universe 
um, has taken a lot more work. Mm. Um, Marvel was really from the beginning. I mean, there were a few characters like Captain America, for instance, that were older that got that got brought in. But from the beginning, Marvel was really suppo- was built to be integrated. Okay, and so there's a little more of of uh, a street level kind of thing that happens in, in okay. Marvel because of that. So but, do you do you see comics as sort of um, another way to tell important moral stories? Uh, yeah. You know, okay. I mean, what Absolutely. Do they do they teach shall I say traditional values? Do you find <laughs> that they do? I mean, well, you know, so what we find um doing God and Comics and and the whole thing really just came out of the fact that the three of us sort of discovered that we loved comics and I they the, those two guys didn't really know each other that well, but I knew each of them mm-hmm. and we sort of like oh, we'd love to have a place where we can kind of nerd out a little bit about this yeah. stuff. Um, but, you know, we very rarely actually assign a theological topic when we're going to mm-hmm. talk about these things. We just go, oh, I'd, let's talk about this, mm-hmm. um, this book or this, you know, whatever this thing, friendship. You know, we'll talk about friendship in comics. Um, but we find that the the theological themes, the moral themes, whatever mm-hmm. it is that, that, you know, you want to talk about, they come out. Um, on their own, because ultimately, and especially I think in the age that we live in, comics are another form of storytelling and a mm-hmm. great form of storytelling that that can, that can do things that that don't necessarily happen in other mediums. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's 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 not the same as reading um, a, a, a regular novel because you have this art component to yeah. it that you're being drawn into. Uh, no pun intended. Um, but it's also not... And so there's a cinematic element to it, you know, how these things are presented, but it's also not exactly the same as, like, if you were watching a television show or a movie because there is a literary art form to it mm-hmm. and because you can see into the characters' minds and hearts mm-hmm. in a way that is, you know, on a screen you'd have to show that. Yeah. through a facial expression or whatever. In a comic, you can show it that way, but you can also get at it through mm-hmm. the, the storytelling and the words as well. Don't they sometimes have it to where you can, like, read the thoughts of the character, right? Like, uh, you know, yeah. well, not you get the words, but... Yeah, I mean, it used to be, in the olden days, they would have thought bubbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These days, that's very uncommon. Usually oh, okay. what you get is a is a, a block that shows their sort of inner monologue. Oh, okay, yeah. interesting. Um, so... What um Oh, I I just had a question. What was it going to be? I was going off off script. That was the problem. Uh-oh. That's always a scary thing. Um w- Oh, I was going to ask you 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 do work uh with teenagers at your school. Absolutely. It's a high school. Yeah. Does, it, does it 23rd. Does it Come help? on out everybody. Send <laughs> your kids. There you go. Does it have a uh is there an advantage to uh you know being familiar with comic books? Is it stuff you can talk to as you're relating to kids or Seeking to help them? Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I think it comes up. I mean, I think it's something that humanizes me a little bit. They come into my yeah. office and I've got Batman on the and yeah. Wonder Woman sitting right behind my desk. So you're a so. Batman in, in the Batman versus Superman. You're on Batman's side with me. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, just... Okay. So I'm on the side of making a better movie than Batman v Superman. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how Tim Burton's Batman remains so popular i guess it's first two really but anyway the first yes one. Yeah, yeah still kind of a almost legendary status i guess in, in many it's ways iconic it yeah. was the one that got it 
the yeah. most right for about 20 or 30 years. Well, it's funny to watch now too because, you know, like he's in that big rubber suit and they, yeah. and they, you know, it's just like the limits of the technology. Now you can do a lot more. And so when you do go back and watch it, you realize things like, oh, he can't move his head. Yeah. He's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm almost afraid to ask this. The George Clooney Batman, his mm-hmm. rubber suit had, um, well, shall we say, it had the full pectoral... Male figure. Are you familiar with this controversy? I don't know how I stumbled no. a, upon it one day. No. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, it had nipples. Okay. I think I can say that on air. And and there's this whole thing about like how weird it is that a bat suit has has that. And I don't know uh-huh. if you're in favor of that particular design or not. But maybe you don't have to say. Well, so. I. You know, I. One of the ones I love is the old '60s Batman show. Yeah. I have the Blu-ray of all of those. Okay. And, uh, th- that spandex is a little tight sometimes yeah. on those guys. Yeah, you know. There, well, well, what are you going to do about that? You know, it's I mean, a cold scene. So. <laughs> you know. Um, I'm interested in okay the movies themselves. Now, I mean, again, I I, I wanted to indicate that you know there's the, there's the literary art form of the comic book, and then there's the movie, which is a different mm-hmm. medium with different advantages and limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, they're big. The consequences are so high, which is, I think, as I've, as I think about, like, what TV shows do I like? You know, like, like, so my wife, we have one TV in the home, which means we have to decide, like, okay, we, we're both here now. We both want to watch TV. We have to agree on something. Uh, or I play on my phone while she watches something that I don't I like. was going to say, if you each have phones, then. <sighs> I know. And we, we, we used to joke. you don't even have to turn the TV on. <laughs> right. We used to joke we're like a one screen family. And like, yeah, right. We're an mm. eight screen family. But we have one <laughs> television. Anyway. Um, okay. She doesn't, she, she doesn't mind the big story, right? Where, where the stakes are high. To me, mm-hmm. they kind of bore me. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm mm-hmm. like, well, just get on with the end of the world already. Who cares? I'm going to die and go <laughs> to heaven anyway, by God's grace. So, you know, the zombie thing, it just got, got kind of gets old after a while. You just wander around, you know, outside of Atlanta, endlessly chopping zombies' head off. So you just go in circles. <laughs> Nothing ever happens. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's just depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one of the things about the comic book genre that I find difficult, mm-hmm. is that the, the fate of the world seems always to hang in the balance. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Are there... Are there more are there more uh, um, of uh, you know situations of consequence among the characters, for example? I think that that is often true. Um, you know, these are big, very powerful characters, and so you have to give yeah. them very powerful uh, stuff to work off of. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, if it, if the whole thing is just Superman has to rescue kittens from trees, it would be a yeah. it would be a very boring story, right? Yeah, right. Um, at the same time, though, there are, um, even in that superhero genre, and and the movies tend to do more of what you're talking about, too, by the way. Mm. Um, but there are, within that superhero genre, smaller stories. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes they're smaller stories within the big saga. Sometimes they are um, just sort of street-level characters. Uh, even, in, even in television and film, you know... Um, uh, Marvel and Netflix had a series of about four different series um, that, uh, like that Jessica Jones, Jessica and... Jones, Daredevil, Luke Cage, yeah. uh, and uh, Iron pun- Fist. Oh, okay, and these were all basically like it's not the world. Like I would say, like that first season of Jessica Jones, for instance, is really interesting because it it's in some ways it's it's terrifying. It's the sort of terrifying look into what it is like. 
to be controlled by somebody oh. and a sort of like stalker like figure. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so you know, like there there are those kinds of stories that that exist. Um, I think the most important thing when you've got a hero versus a villain situation is not necessarily because the stakes can get too high. Mm-hmm. I think the issue is are the villain is are everybody's motivations understandable? And so especially when you're talking about a villain, if his motivation is simply I want to destroy the world, that makes very little sense, yeah. right? Yeah. Why do you live in the world? Yeah. Why do you want to destroy the world? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doesn't it doesn't, you know, make sense at all. But then you take a character like Thanos, for instance, and particularly the movie version of Thanos. Well, what's his motivation? Well, it's a big one, mm. but it's essentially um, people are dying because there aren't enough resources. The only way to get through this is to eliminate a certain number of the population and planets aren't willing to do that on their own. And so I need to go and Mm. be the one. And he even thinks of himself in a sacrificial light, right? I don't Mm. want to do this. I have to do this. I'm going to go. I'm going to be the one who's going to take, take one for the team. Um, and, and basically do the thing that's going to get rid of a lot of people, but make life better for a lot of other people. When you watch that movie, are you, some you don't have to say personally, but do you mm-hmm. do you think that people are somewhat sympathetic to his cause? I mean, there are there are a lot of people. In fact, I think we mm-hmm. fight this. You know, there's an anti-humanitarian bent right. within environmentalism, for example, that really does see humans as the problem and in, overpopulation is a problem. In some in some segments yeah. of that, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's a very Malthusian kind of thing yeah. that he's doing. Um, I we argued, you know, when we when we talked about Infinity War. Um, which was the first part of that Thanos saga, Avengers Infinity War, um, you know, I, we kind of came to the conclusion that it was the most uh, pro-life movie that had yeah. been made yeah. in a generation, yeah. um, whether they had really intended that or not, because so much of what Thanos is saying is, um, you know, um, is part of our, our own understanding of, you know, what, what we're willing to give up for right. the sake of... He's, he's echoing what a lot of people are yeah, saying. He's, yeah, he's echoing right. a lot of stuff in the culture. And, and they, they don't realize that they're echoing the sentiments of, a, of an evil monster, but, you know, but they are. Right. I, think, I think it's bizarre that there are many, you know, many people who are very uh, pro-abortion, but, you know, they'll go to a movie theater and they'll celebrate the saving of life, which is what the superhero does. But anyway, that's, that's a sidetrack. Um, what would you say are kind of the biggest connections between like God and comics, maybe the most overt sort of tie-ins, if you would. Our podcast, GodandComics.com. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Well, it's got you got it in the name for sure. It's right there in and, the name, and, and definitely people should listen to that for. A, yeah, yeah, you know, we're just hitting the very, very highlights. But yeah, um, I mean, I think you know. Um, so as I've as I've mentioned a couple of times, you know, comics are very expansive today. There's a lot of different types of stories that are getting told in comics some of which are quite fascinating in the sort of epicness of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even if we just kind of pull back to the superhero genre, I, you know, it's been said by a number of people that the superheroes are kind of the myth makers of our time, mm. that this is how we're sort of living out these stories, especially in a sort of post-Christian culture. Mm. Um, and... Um, you know, I mean, you can you can kind of quibble with that a little bit, um, but I think that it is a place where we see some struggling with questions of what makes a hero, what makes 
um, for the good man or the good woman? What makes for a good life? Mm. Um, why should we sacrifice for others? Yeah. What is at stake? You know, these are all very human questions. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, having this almost bigger than life canvas with 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 on which to um, on which to you know play that out yeah. is, I think, helpful to people. Yeah. A um, couple more questions, and we, you mind going a few minutes past six? No. We, yeah, the beauty of the podcast, we can record a few minutes past that, although we'll go off the air, KPFT li- listeners, in just a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> uh, but um, Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I've watched that twice now because my son watched it, and Netflix has it. And yes. Great movie. Fantastic movie. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I wanted to make sure I got that right, because I'm yeah. watching it, I'm like, wait, I'm being drawn into this. Stop! Stop! <laughs> Abort! Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe wrong use phrase. Anyway, it was like, <laughs> it was like, it was like I, why, this movie really, really works, and yep. it's really interesting, yep. and uh, you, 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 you completely pull for, uh, well, I was going to say Peter Parker, but <laughs> there's so many of them um, in that movie, uh, mm-hmm. but you, re- wait, is his name Peter Parker? The, well, in the, no, I'm wrong. The there's older, one Peter the older Parker. one is Peter Parker. Okay, okay. Miles Morales Miles, is the kid. Miles, of course. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dumb and dummy. Okay, anyway, you really pull for him, and, and I, I found him to be a really, sympathetic figure so yeah i mean Mm -hmm. i don't know any thoughts on that particular yeah no totally i mean first of all into the spider verse is 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 beautiful the way that it's animated Mm -hmm. the way that it's put together because it looks like a comic book it looks like a comic book but it also like you it's relatable it's not just like you know sometimes people think cartoon and it doesn't right but you you really feel like these are real people that i'm watching right um, and it's actually pretty faithful to uh, the source material. I mean, it's telling a, a slightly different story, but it's pulling from stuff that has been worked out with those characters in comics. Yeah. Um, so like the so, pig, Spider-Man. Yeah, and Peter th- Porker. Those are, okay, those are yeah. all like other comic books, It was voiced, uh, voiced brilliantly by John Mulaney in that oh, movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. And is mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage the uh, black and white Spider-Man yeah, in that movie? Yeah, so Spider-Man okay. Noir, yeah. Okay, uh-huh. okay. Yeah, yeah I, it, I, it actually <laughs> almost made me like want to go find those comics and read them because I'm like, wow, these seem like really you interesting should. characters. Yeah. Well, Miles Morales was... Um, Invented by a writer named Brian Michael Bendis, who okay. I think is one of the absolute best writers in comics. Mm. Um, he's he's at DC now, so he's writing Superman books, and oh, they're okay. the best Superman books oh, okay. in, in a, a long time. Yeah. Um, but he created Miles Morales. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, the thing about Spider-Man in general, even if we go all the way back to the creation of Spider-Man, this is sort of what I was talking about before, Spider-Man is a kind of street-level figure. First of mm. all, he starts out as a teenager, um, you know, uh, and so he has those kinds of issues and yeah, those kinds right, of problems right. and he's like bullied at school and, you know, yeah, like that kind yeah. of stuff, which is really, um, you know, right. relatable to anybody right. who's ever been a teenager. Right. Um, but he's also like, he's, he's, he's defending his city. Yeah. And so it's very New York centered yeah. Yeah. and he's trying to figure out love and life and death. Um, one of the, um, really most powerful storylines you know i mean i'll spoil it a little bit but it was written in the 1970s you all have had time yeah right right Uh, but um is the the death of his um his his first real love uh gwen stacy and um she is killed um by uh the green goblin 
who takes her hostage, basically, and Spider-Man is fighting with him, and he's got a cold. I remember that was part of it, which mm. was sort of interesting. You think of Spider-Man as having a cold. Yeah. Um, but, like, the, the, the goblin flings her from the air, um, and so she's falling to her death, and Spider-Man is, in the last minute, oh, I've got to save her, shoots a web and gets her and pulls her up. Um, and so thinks that he saved her, but it turns out he pulled too fast and it snaps her neck. Uh, wow. And so it's like he, and that last panel of that book is just devastating hmm. with him and, hmm. and her, you know, her death. This is a character, by the way, who's already been like deep into uh, uh, guilt over yeah. other people's deaths. Yeah. And, you know, so it's it's fascinating. Yeah. KPFT listeners, I got to go. But we'll be back next week with more theology on air. Okay, we're off radio, but we can okay. still chat for a few minutes. Okay. Sure. Yeah, but um, which one is the real Spider-Man? But this is what I don't get. You've got the guy with the mechanical web and then the guy where it's built into his flesh, right? Aren't there two? Am I wrong about that? So you have, I mean, some of this too is like uh, things evolve over time because yeah. you have many, many years of, okay. of stories, right? I mean, some of these characters go back 75 years or more. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes these things get what's called retconned, where, like, the history gets changed a little bit okay. to, to fit things. Um, but no, like, the classic Spider-Man, uh, he's built his own, because he's, he's a science geek. Oh, He's okay. built okay. his own web shooters. Oh, okay. But his power that's been given to him by the, the radioactive spider bite yeah. uh, is uh, strength okay. and he doesn't have strength like Superman. Like, you couldn't yeah. shoot a nuclear missile at him or something. Yeah. But, like, he could, like toss a car maybe yeah. or something like that well, he can climb on the side he of the can building climb. yeah he's good. sticky he can climb okay. on the side of things he's got the spider sense so he knows when stuff is coming gotcha but you know you want to talk about like um th just thinking in that paradigm of a, a sort of lutheran theological lens mm -hmm. of like law and gospel mm -hmm. here is a guy who uh his uncle ben said to him with great power mm -hmm. comes great responsibility not knowing that he had yeah these right. abilities right and he just kind of blows him off like a typical sort of teenager, eh, whatever. Yeah. And and then you know when he had the opportunity to stop a criminal, mm -hmm. he doesn't take it because he's too busy using this what he's been given for the sake of like enriching himself. Uh, yeah. And then that guy who runs by him turns out to be the one who murders his yeah. Uncle Ben. And that's in the first, very first That's at the beginning movie, of, of but well, it's in the it's first. It's in the comic book too, I take yeah, it? Yeah, no, that's okay. the comic origin okay, of okay. him. And so the, um, the whole, like, you know, the whole world of Spider-Man yeah. is built on, it's like, what are the motivations, right? It's, it's for him, a lot of it's built on guilt. Mm. I, I mm. didn't stop this. So yeah. now I need to stop every other one. Yeah. Very different, even though it's there's some similarities, but very different from like Batman, for instance, mm -hmm. who you know sees the murder of his parents, mm -hmm. but for him, it is the the motivation then becomes one of um, uh, justice mm -hmm. and strength over weakness, mm -hmm. and uh, there is a definite right and a definite wrong, but it's but there's also this kind of like where does where is where is grace in yeah. Batman's world? You know, yeah. Batman never kills. Why? Because it's wrong. Uh, but he'll go right up to the edge of that line. Interesting. You yeah. know? What did you think about the new Joker? 
Uh, I didn't. I didn't actually see it. Okay. Um, and I, and that was actually a, a choice that I made. Um, I know people who saw it. I believe Father Kyle and Father Matt saw it. Um, I decided that you know from everything that I knew about it, um, that it. <sighs> A, a story that is just going to be the inside of a scary person that mm-hmm. isn't at, that doesn't actually have any redemptive place right. to go with it. I'm not that interested in. Yeah. I love dark stories. I mean, Flannery yeah. O'Connor is one of my favorite writers. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I can I can get with a dark story. Yeah. Um. Even if it doesn't. Even if it ends poorly. If I understand, oh, here's where I can see, you know, the redemptive arc. Like a lot of horror stories are like that. Like they end poorly, but they end poorly because you look at it from the outside and go, yeah. oh, they never saw it. They yeah. never got it. Yeah. Um, but I just, with Joker, it just seemed to me, and you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should go see it. But yeah. Anyway. I, I just saw it and um, it didn't, it didn't blow me away, but maybe yeah. I'm an emotionally calloused. Uh, cynical man that you know is, is no longer able to be moved but yeah um i mean I, you have empathy for how he how he comes to be who he is that's i think part of the story mm-hmm. it's that whole you know sympathy for the bad guy thing right. uh, it's not the classic you know black and white anymore uh, you know I, there's nuance to everything i get all that but yeah there 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 is no redemption um and uh, I will say that I, I think I thought they did a much better job of um, portraying Gotham as Gotham. You know, my, the one thing about Christopher Nolan's this is a sidetrack, but the one thing uh-huh. about Christopher Nolan, who I love, yeah, uh, but his uh, his Gotham was like mostly shot in Chicago, and it looks like a beautiful, clean city. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I just don't think it looks like Gotham at all. You but, like the yeah. really dirty, messy, I mean, gross. I mean, Gotham. I'm, I'm, it's a Tim Burton thing, right? I, I mean, always look at that, Gotham that, City, and I think, who would want to live there? Why yeah. are there? Why are there still millions of people is in it, Gotham? <laughs> and, and, I mean, is it supposed to be New York, by the way, or is it a totally fi- fictitious? Oh, there system? are different. There are different theories about that. I oh, mean, okay. in in reality, it's just fictitious. But like, yeah. There are people who think it's Chicago. Oh, okay. You know, interesting. Okay, last um, last question. Okay. Um, so Martin Scorsese, he mm-hmm. basically says, "Oh, you know, uh, comic book movies aren't cinema." Now, mm-hmm. I'm sure we could talk for hours about you know what he thinks of as cinema, and you know, of course, I think we can all understand from a dollars and cents point of view, you know, why you know movie companies are making you know Avengers because it makes. A billion and a half dollars, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you got to get butts and seats. You know that's why you exist. You know the the movie industry, however left wing they may be, they're all capitalists still. Uh, you know, so you you can't have a beautiful art house, you know, indie project uh, over there if you're not filming comic book movie over here. Anyway, do you think it's a fair criticism? I guess. I mean, g- given what you've said, I think I know the answer. But is it fair for someone? At the end of their directorial career, having made you know masterpieces and such, to say, mm-hmm. well, that's not cinema. Is he not giving it the respect it deserves, or, or what do you think? No, I mean, I yeah, unsurprisingly, no, I don't, I don't really agree with uh, Scorsese's assessment. Um, I think that first of all, to to make that claim, I I don't think you can really just make it about superhero movies. I mean, I think at that point you'd have to basically wrap in anything right. that has any sort of Certainly mass Star Wars. appeal. Yeah, you Star know? Wars, yeah. yeah. Well, and and part of the issue too is that like when you're if you're making a superhero film, you almost have to make it at a certain level for it to be right. believable, right? Like it's hard to do a little indie movie. 
Yeah. That's a superhero movie and, and have it not look like you filmed it in your dad's basement. Right. Right. Um, but, um, no, I mean, I think that, um, what that says to me is that, uh, Scorsese doesn't really understand, um, what's actually happening (laughs) in those films. Um, if he thinks there's no emotional content to it, that, that just seems, uh, utterly crazy to me given, um, you know, uh, some of the things that happen in like infinity war and some of those other places where there's, you know, there's real pathos, uh, to some of those scenes. I mean, is it, is it a big budget thing? Yes. Uh, is there a certain element, especially I think in the MCU of paint by numbers? Sure. But, um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, by nature, these are not stories worth telling. Yeah. Um, because if that's the case, then there's a lot of stories that aren't worth telling. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Father Jonathan Michikin. Uh, you can find him at uh, prayingthebeads.com. Wor- working, working the beads. The beads. Yeah, I knew yeah. I was wrong when I said it. Workingthebeads.com <laughs> and godandcomics.com. And, uh, yeah, like I said, chaplain over at uh, John the 23rd here in, uh, well, there, I guess, in Katy, Texas. But thanks very much yeah. for joining me. And uh, if I could do a shout-out for St. John the 23rd, great high school, great place to send your kids, uh, sj23lions.org, because the lions are our mascot. L-I-O-N. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. sj23lions.org. Come check us out. Cool. Very good. All right. Well, we appreciate it. And friends, I want to thank you for listening to Theology on Air. We're not on uh, air anymore. We're actually uh, just recording for the podcast now. But we will be back uh, next week with more content for you. Looking forward to it very much. We're going to be, I believe uh, Sarah Stone and I are going to be reviewing a uh, recent Joel Osteen sermon, uh, (laughs) including the joke. We are going to be dissecting his opening joke. Oh, I want to come uh, back for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try to have some fun with it. But um, anyway, I think that'll be fun. So we'll be okay. back next week for theology on air. And until then, friends, we encourage you to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed. Mm-hmm.